Ray. People will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have and peace they like. Ray, just sign the papers. And they'll walk out to the bleachers. Sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines. Where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game. And it'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick they'll have to brush them away from their faces. Ray, when the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come, Ray. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good, and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. Well, good morning. As I get situated here, um, did everybody get a chance to see the cool thing that Major League Baseball did this week? Raise your hand. Did you see the, the Field of Dreams actual game? Yeah, yeah. It was great, wasn't it? For those of you who didn't see, uh, Major League Baseball, for the, for the first time ever, played a game in the state of Iowa, much to the, the joy of our boy Ben Brady's heart. And uh, it was great. Like, it was, uh, they, they built this field. It was surrounded by corn, just like it was uh, in the movie uh, Field of Dreams. And it was done like, pretty close to the, the site uh, where that film was was actually, uh, was actually filmed and made. And, uh, man, I just, I love that movie. I mean, it's on my top five list. I love the game of baseball. I love James Earl Jones. Like, who doesn't love James Earl Jones, right? Either as Terrence Mann or, or Mufasa, like, best voice in the world, James Earl Jones. But as much as I, I love those things and love the game of baseball, right, what he just said there isn't true, is it? Like, yeah, baseball is fun, and it may take us away from reality for a little bit, but the game of baseball is not the constant where we find peace in our lives, right? Where we do find peace in our lives and what, what the constant is that we can count on no matter what comes our way in life is God. It's not baseball. It's God's nature, his character, and his plan for our lives and for this world, right? God is our constant. Another kind of similar saying that you may have heard is that uh, the one constant in life is change, right? And that is certainly true of our, of our circumstances that we go through in our lives, whether it's our, our relationships or our jobs. As our, as our kids grow up, they change. We go through periods of sickness and health. 
Uh, we, we go to a, through a phase of maybe empty nesting in, in our lives and, and aging parents and all that that brings with it. Like the world around us is changing. We know that very well, right? So, so the circumstances in our lives change. Like even Ecclesiastes would attest to this when it says that there's a time for everything, right? And meaning the, the seasons and the circumstances of our lives change. And we even see this in the garden. It's kind of how God has wired his creation. Like he never intended, never intended for, for the gardens to stay as it was, but that it would, people would cultivate it and change it. And there would be a level of, of progress in his creation. But God's definition of progress and the world's definition of progress can sometimes be completely opposite, can't they? And so that's the conflict that we're going to take a look at today. In our, in our series about kingdoms in conflict, that how an unchanging God and a changing world can sometimes be in conflict. Because if, if God is constant, he's unchanging, but yet we and this world are changing, meaning that things aren't the same today as they were yesterday or 20 years ago or 2,000 years ago. How do we make sure that, that in that change and that progress that we're doing it God's way and not the world's way? Right? In a world that seems just like constant change is going on around us, how do we find hope and bearings and peace in our lives? So that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. And to get that started, we're just going to look at some, some passages of Scripture that really show us this crystal clear truth that God is constant, that God does not change. We see this all over Scripture, but here's four that I wanted to share with you guys this morning. Malachi 3 says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. What a promise. 1 Samuel 15, He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. James 1, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And then the great verse that kind of sums up these and all the other ones just very simply. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever from Hebrews 13. And so what these verses are telling us, like really crystal clear as clear can be, is that the God of creation and the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament, is the same God today. Like who he is, his nature, his character, they don't change. Now a fair question that's raised sometimes is like, well, why does God appear different in different parts of the Bible, right? Like, why is he so angry in the Old Testament, right? That's a, that's a fair and honest question. And while, while the nature and character of who God is does not change, how he chooses to reveal himself, like what, what phase of redemptive history he's, he's ushering in and kind of the specifics of how he interacts with humanity, they may look different, but he's the same God working the same plan. Our God does not change. And so one of the implications of this is, though, is that even though, even um, because God is constant and he is unchanging, that so is his word. That's an implication of the fact that God is constant. Because scripture is the revelation of who God is and what he's up to, right? So, so to say that God is constant, he does not change, is also to say that scripture is constant and scripture does not change. Again, a couple of verses to help us see that this morning. The Psalm 119 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. And Matthew 24, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So behind all that we see is this reality of what we see in the Scriptures, the word of God that will remain 
forever. And so it's important to keep in mind that when, when we come to Scripture and how we read it and interact with it, there's kind of a, a right way and a wrong way to read and interpret Scripture, right? Like the correct way, how we want to come with humility to Scripture is we want to, we want to understand its context, right? We want to understand like what type of literature we're reading in the Holy Scriptures, and we want to understand who the original audience was of what we're reading, Right? And then understanding that and illuminated by the Spirit of God, then we can begin to apply what we see in there to our lives now in our context. It's important to know that it was written to the original audience, but it's written for us right now, today, all these thousands of years later. So that's kind of the right way how we want to humbly approach Scripture. Right? The, the wrong way, the opposite way of that, is that we, we come to Scripture from where we currently are, and we look through the lens of, of our current culture and our current context, and we lay that on the pages of Scripture, and we say, well, that's what it must mean to us now, all these thousands of years later. Right? So, so we, want to read, we want Scripture to be the lens by which we're seeing our context, by which we're seeing our current culture, and, and, and pull the truth from that, and not the other way around. Right? And those two differences are, are just completely opposite. Right? Does that make sense? We've we got we to lay Scripture on where we are here and now, not take the here and now and go to Scripture and then pull out the truth. Those are different ways of coming to the Word of God. Because even though the specifics of, of modern life and this world have changed, God hasn't and His Word hasn't. Amen? Amen. And so if a, if a constant, unchanging God is that the, it's one of the pillars of our faith, that one of, the, one of the core things, the pillars of this kingdom of God, right? What then is the conflict with the earthly kingdom? Like how does the enemy, like we looked at last week, right? How does the enemy seek to, to come in and start to undermine that pillar of truth, that God is constant, he doesn't change, and neither does his word? Well, that conflict, one of the the arguments that's made against a constant, unchanging God is that he is no longer relevant to the current times, right? Like, like God is, he's outdated, and what, what he has said in the word no longer, no longer applies because humanity has kind of progressed to a point that's made him irrelevant. And this, this plays itself out in many ways in our time. But the kind of the, the high-level, like, ideology behind this view is, is this idea of progressivism, and I just wanted to put up a quick uh, definition of that to maybe help us understand this ideology that, that, that comes out in our day. It says that progressivism is a political ideology based on the possibility of moral progress. In practice, this looks like an optimism about the future of humanity. It believes that the course of human history is moving us closer to a state of peace, equality, and prosperity. Progressivism believes in human perfectibility. Politics, technology, and education can overcome human failings to create a utopia. Now, I mean, to be fair, th there's some things on the surface in there that sound attractive to us. They sound like, they sound okay. But there's also some things in there that are completely opposed to the Word of God and what Scripture says, right? So I, I just, I want to take a minute and kind of, I think we need to unpack progress before we go any farther. I want to tease apart what, what good progress and bad progress is, right? Because in one sense, human progress is a good thing, right? Like technology and healthcare, like good government, economic development, there, there are things that come out of those that you and I get to enjoy as part of God's common grace in our daily comings and goings, right? Like to me, you have a very hard time trying to convince me 
that there's any better time to be alive on the scale of humanity than right now, right? 2021 in America, I mean, yes, it's been a hard 18 months. We've been going through some things, but still, you'd have a really hard time convincing me any other time would be better to be alive than right now from like a standard of living standpoint, right? Like, I don't think you could honestly make the point, I'd rather be alive during the Middle Ages. Like, it was awesome back then. Like, maybe you like to go to the Renaissance Festival and, like, dress up and, you know, joust or whatever they do there, right? If that's your thing, that's cool. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. But, but when, that's, when that day's over, you know, and you've had all, like, the leg of lamb you could, you could stomach, right? And you're hot and sweaty and you're dirty. Like, you get to get in your air-conditioned car and you get to, you get to drive home to your air-conditioned house and walk in and open your refrigerator up and get something cold to drink and make a sandwich, right, and, and sit down on the TV, or sit down on the couch and put your feet up and watch TV, right? Like, you don't have to stay in the Middle Ages. Like, it was a time, it was pretend, but now you get to go home and enter back into 2021, right? And, and if you get sick, like, if you get hurt jousting, right, you're, you can go to an emergency room. Like, we have healthcare, like, almost at our fingertips. And we have access to all kinds of information, more than the world's ever had, in our pockets, in our hands, on our phones, Right? So, so there are good things that we get to enjoy in 2021 that are the result of progress, right? That's good progress. You can't say, you can't honestly say that all progress is bad. That's intellectually dishonest, right? And even, even in Scripture, we see this idea of growing, of progressing in our faith, of growing in good works, right? So, so right and good progress is not the problem. That's not the conflict. The problem and the conflict comes we think we can begin to progress beyond God and who he's revealed, uh, what he's revealed about himself to us in his word. Like when, when we begin to, to look at God and who he is and what we see in scripture and we start to say, nope, that right there, that, that doesn't apply anymore. Like what God meant back then, it doesn't mean that anymore. That's the wrong kind of progress. Like, and, and these ideas about, about progressing away from God in ways that can lead us away from who he is. Like, sure, they're manifesting themselves now in new and different ways, but that ideology is not new on the scale of humanity. Right? It kind of it has its roots in the Enlightenment, but even before that, it existed. Like, we, we see it in Scripture. We're warned about it in Scripture. The Bible tells us to expect it and to be on guard against it. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So our boy Paul here is pretty, he's pretty focused on making sure the word of God is preached and teach and communicated effectively, Right? Well, why is he so focused on that when he's writing to Timothy? Well, he tells us. The next verse says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And then we see in 2 John 9, it says that everyone who goes on ahead I would say anyone who progresses beyond, right, and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So it, it seems pretty clear that the warning is we have two options. We abide in good, sound doctrine and what the Bible says, and we get God. We move away from it, and we don't get God. 
So I mean, that's the primary warning in these passages about kind of false teachers, false ideology making its way into the church from the outside. So what's like, what's a modern way that we're seeing this come up in our time? I came across uh, an article, and, and the author uh, who wrote this article had, had recently uh, visited like a mainstream Protestant um, church uh, close to where he lived. And he said when he got there, you know, that message in the morning, the pastor was sharing uh, about Jesus walking on the water and Jesus feeding the 5,000. And as part of his sermon to his flock, he said this, Of course, we know that those are early, child, pre-scientific days. We have grown beyond that, and the understanding that was understood to be miracles once upon a time, now from a more mature and progressive standpoint, are seen as symbols and pointers to God's love and not something that actually happened in history. Wow, right? So my kids, one of the things that we like to do, they love to do is... um. We kind of like build forts in the basement and then we pretend like we're camping because we're, I mean, we're more glampers than campers, so we kind of like fake it in our basement sometimes. And we build a fort and we turn off all the lights and we, we get in there and we tell stories, right? A flashlight, scary story, whatever it is, right? Actually, we just did it yesterday. It was fun. Um, but as somebody's telling the story, one of the kids likes to kind of like jump in and, and correct and say, no, 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 this is what happened. You know, we laugh and giggle. It's funny. We're like, no, no, we're telling the story, not you. You can't jump in and change the story. Right? We giggle and laugh, and it's cute. You know what's not cute? What this dude is saying, right? Like, how does this guy not understand and see the damage that he's causing the people that are supposed to be underneath of, of his care, right? He's, he's basically saying that Jesus as God in the flesh didn't come with all power over all creation to redeem mankind and perform miracles as part of that to point people to his divinity. That's what he's saying, He's saying that's not true about who Jesus was and is. And if you begin to follow that line of logic, you are right on the edge of the slippery slope that leads down to saying, well, if God and Jesus couldn't do that miracle, then God didn't actually raise Jesus from the dead, did he? Like, that's not an actual miracle, right? That's just more of of a story of God maybe symbolizing his power. If the resurrection of Christ doesn't happen, Even the scripture would attest, as Paul writes, if that doesn't happen, our faith is in vain and we've wasted our lives. And that's exactly where the enemy wants to take us. This line of reasoning that we have have progressed in science and ethics and understanding beyond what God has revealed to us in scripture, man, it works its way out that way and other areas within the modern day church. Areas like sexuality and and the existence of hell and and God's wrath. And I mean, all these things are being attacked right now. You could probably come up with even more than that. It's like we saw last week. This is the the enemy warring against us to try to undermine the truth of who God is and what he's revealed to us. And so when, when the desires of mankind, this is kind of how this plays out, right? When the desires of mankind run contrary to an unchanging God, Rather than repent and lay those desires before him and seek to conform our lives to to what he wants for us, we invent progress to suit our passions. And we say, I don't need to change. God needs to change. And when this happens, the next step that happens after that is just removing or changing parts and meanings of Scripture that don't fit your view of God, don't fit your view of how life works, and then your system of truth has evaporated. You see, the, the problem is not general progress, right? 
That's not in alignment with how God created things to be. It's not in alignment with how, how we, what we see in Scripture. Good and right progress is fine. The problem, the conflict, is when progress becomes the answer and progress becomes the Savior for humanity, and it leads us away from a constant, unchanging God and all of the implications of the truth about that. And so, church, we, we need to be on guard and aware of what the Bible has warned us what's going to happen when this thing was penned 2,000 years ago or so, whenever Paul wrote that to Timothy. Like, he warned us it was going to happen. We need to be aware of it and on guard about it, you know, and keep it from infiltrating our flock. We need to be aware and on guard when we're tempted to change what God has made so plain and clear to us. So, that's a little bit about this conflict from without, right? But what about when that ideology begins to become a conflict from within, right? Because this, this ideology can also start to creep into our hearts in some ways. And, and this may be a bit of a more sleight of hand way that the enemy seeks to kind of come in and twist, you know, did God really say, right? That's kind of what he does. And, and, and he starts to whisper to us, you can do this. You can make yourself a better person. You can figure whatever problem you're going through in life, you can figure out a way to, to get beyond that and have your best life now. You can do this, right? Like when, when we used to have bookstores, I mean, I guess they still exist. They just don't exist like they used to, right? But when you used to walk into a Barnes & Noble and it's, the, it's filled, right? Filled with books, different categories, all this stuff. What was one of the biggest sections in the bookstore, right? It's self-help. Self-help was one of the biggest sections in every bookstore, like an objective witness to the fact that humanity thinks that we can improve ourselves beyond our own problems. And we can easily be drawn into this idea that we can progress on our own in our lives. But what we see in Scripture is that the only way for us to change as humans, as people, and to progress in our lives is not by self-help, it's from the inside out, right? Scripture tells us it's a matter of, of heart change, not an, not an outside-in change in society or change in culture that's going to fix all of humanity's problems. It's a change from the inside out. It is, it is a process that we see in Scripture called sanctification, right? This process of, of being set apart to holiness in a progressive way. That's the good and right redeemed definition of that word, right? It's the work of the Spirit in, inside of us, transforming our heart and mind and conforming us into the image of Christ. There's been two verses that have been so helpful to my understanding and belief in this over the years. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may be able to discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And the first time that this verse really grabbed hold of me was actually in this room. Uh, Pastor George was sharing on it, I don't know, probably 10 years ago or something. And this verse, he, I mean, God just used him that morning to, to just make this verse come alive to me. And it says with this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's the gospel that transforms our hearts and our minds. 
If you kind of mix these two verses together, like what we see is that when we believe the, the, the veil that was across us, it, it drops and we're able to, to see ultimate reality for what it really is. And then indwelt by, by the Holy Spirit, our hearts and our minds begin to be renewed so we can understand the will of God. And that by beholding the truth and the beauty of, of who he is and what Christ has done for us, he transforms us into the likeness of Christ one degree at a time. And, and that's the walk of faith. That's what we experience in our lives as we follow Christ. That he's transforming us one small part at a time. This, um, this past year so far, you know, all the way through today at work has just been, it's just been a difficult year for me. I told Nicole um, earlier this week or last week, it just, it just felt like a year full of thorns and thistles, right? Like nothing quite breaking my way. Um, from like a, I'm in sales and my numbers so far, are just, I'm just way behind where I was like the last two years. And when that starts to mess with your mind a little bit, right? Like I felt, I'm trying to think of like how I felt this year and I kind of sum it up in a picture. And it's like, I felt like I'm the donkey with somebody riding my back and they've got the stick with the carrot on it, right? And I just can't quite get the carrot. I keep trying to take a bite, like enclosing it. It just doesn't happen, right? And so that's how I've kind of like felt this year. And it's, it's impacted, it's impacted my joy, I mean, in some ways, it's impacted my relationship with God. It's taken my focus off of him because my, the way my flesh wants to respond to this conflict in my life is by kind of diving deeper into it, working harder, trying to solve my own problem, right? At Life Group this week, somebody shared um, a verse um, that was just so helpful to me. Like, even if I've, as I've been um, thinking about it and meditating on it since Thursday, it just seems to be sinking more and more um, into my heart. And um, this person shared a verse from the end of Habakkuk. And it says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. I was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much my year so far. What, what's the response to that, right? It says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. And so I just was struck by how this is such an example of what we're talking about here. This is, this is the constant word of God pointing to the nature and the character of God, being used by his spirit through the body of believers to speak truth into my heart to remind me that my identity is not in how much I sell or my, my success at work, but is in him and what he's done for me. And that that's where my joy, that's where my satisfaction takes. And he, and he moves my affections toward him one more degree. He conforms me to his image one more degree. That's the picture of how God wants us to change and progress in our lives. Right? Like progressive philosophy wants to take society from a high level and, and change this, this institution, make this social reform, and have that trickle down into the hearts of mankind and change society. Christianity, following Jesus, says, no, no, it's one degree at a time and the heart of one person at a time over the course of a lifetime. That's how humanity is changed and makes progress. And so the question that we all need to answer, right, is on an ongoing basis, are we trying to go ahead of God like we saw in 2 John 9? Or are we abiding in the teaching of Christ and letting that transform us? 
Are we letting, letting the fact that he's the only answer for us sink down deep into our soul? Or are we trying to progress and better ourselves by some other way than beholding the beauty of Christ and allowing the Spirit to transform us from the inside out? Are we trying to progress God's way or the world's way? It's a question we all need to keep at the forefront of our minds on a daily basis, myself included for sure. So where does this leave us? Like, what, what do we do with this? Like, even as the world uh, and some threads in the church move away from God and start to kind of invent their own reality, how are we, as the people of God, holding fast to the Word of God to respond to that? Or when we, when we do feel our hearts drifting away from the gospel and we try to white-knuckle our, our lives and come up with our, our own solutions or take and follow the world's advice and we find ourselves trying to progress in life without God, what do we do? Well, I, kind of just, I wanted to end today by just putting our focus back on the unchanging, constant God and repenting from how we may have drifted in these areas. Like I think, that's, I think Scripture was that's the only place for us to start. Repent and get our eyes back on God, right? Because it, it does us no good if we, if we, if we take this progressive philosophy idea and, and we just consider it an issue outside of us, right? And we, and we kind of we rail against what's happening in culture, it doesn't really do us any good if we do that and not acknowledge that, man, some of this may have impacted me personally. Man, some of this may be keeping me from a, a living, vibrant relationship with God. So I thought we could just do this. I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes in a minute, and I'm going to ask three questions that, that I, I want your honest response um, this morning. Like your participation in this is going to be key, Okay. I'm just going to ask you three questions, and with eyes closed to kind of protect your, your privacy, I just want, as, as we ask these questions, man, if, you're, if your response to these questions is yes, I just want you to raise your hand and keep it raised, okay? And at the end, I'm going to ask us to answer, to open our eyes, right, and to look around and just to understand that I mean, we're not alone in this. We're not walking through any of this by ourselves. So would you do that? Would you just close your eyes with me real quick? I'm going to ask you three questions, and if this is true for you, would you just raise your hand and keep it up? Like, would you say, if you think about where you are in your life right now, would you say you feel stuck or confused or fearful about some circumstance in your life or in the world? Like, you're, you're going through something in your life and you, or you see what's happening in the world or you see what's happening in, in the church and, and you're just, your soul is not at rest about it. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Or how many would say that you're, man, maybe you're just, honestly, you're wrestling with something that God says in the Bible like, you just, you can't understand how he would say that, how he would do that, how that would be true. And if you're wrestling with something this morning, would you, would you raise your hand? Just keep them up, guys. If you would just keep them up for me. Okay, last question. How many of you would say at some level, man, you're trying to solve your problems your own way or the world's way rather than leaning into the gospel and letting God transform you from the inside out? And if you've said yes to any of those questions, would you just keep your hands up for me? All right, let's open our eyes and look around the room. I've got both. I've got two hands up. All right, look, we're not alone in this, right? This is not isolated to outside these walls, right? And God wants to come in, and he wants to change this for us. And so the good news, how I just want to end and encourage us and try to just walk out of here with our, our eyes freshly and newly fixed on our unchanging, constant God, is just to simply read some verses, and that's what we're going to do, okay? And that's kind of how we're going to close. 
Because we want to put our eyes on God and what he says about who he is in his word and to let that marinate and sink deep into us for all he has in our lives. So we see in, in Hebrews 6 that God has, has given us an anchor for our souls in Jesus. And he says this, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement and hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Isaiah 41 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 46. I'm sorry, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then Isaiah 46, 3, a verse that's just having more and more meaning to me as the years go on. Even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. And then lastly, Isaiah 33, he will be the stability of our times. Let that sink in for a minute. He, God, will be the stability of our times, abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge, the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. And then bringing it back to the verse at the beginning, if we can remember maybe one thing leaving here this morning, is that Jesus Christ, the anchor of our soul from Hebrews, is the same yesterday and today and forever. So there is a season for everything in life. Our circumstances will change. Uh, our lives will change. We change. The world will change. But God stays the same. He's anchored our soul in the reality of who he is, and he will hold us fast, even when it feels like the earth is giving way and the mountains are being pushed into the sea. And so we're going we're gonna to move now into a time of, of worship again, and we're going to share communion together. I mean, what, what a great opportunity. I just want to invite you into a time of, of, of worship before the Lord of repentance for, for the ways that maybe you've drifted from him. Like, we're remembering his broken body and his shed blood, right? We're remembering that we have the ability to repent and, and run back to God through what Jesus has done. So, man, would you take that invitation this morning and just be honest and level with God and say, this is what I've been wrestling with. Will you help me, God? Will you, will you transform me one degree more into your image? Let's pray. God, even in the, the midst of, of the changing world and, and all the stuff that we see happening outside of us, man, even in our own hearts, we feel it. Prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love, right? God, thank you for just, just ministering to me um, in the past few weeks with this, this, psalm from, this song from Psalm 90 that says, will you satisfy me with your love? Satisfy me with who you are in, in the morning. As I wake up, as I go throughout the day, will you be my satisfaction? God, would you, would you do that for all of us? 
Would you remind us of, of who you are, your, your constant, your unchanging character that we can, man, we are, we're betting our lives on it. And we can believe and trust that you are who you say that you are, God. Lord, would you just become real to us in that way? God, would you, no matter what we're going through in life, I mean, even if we're going, even if we are living our best life now, Lord, man, something's going to change. It just does. Life's going to change. We're going to run into a circumstance. We're going to see something that brings us anxiety or, or worry. And so, God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters that, that you would be their rock. You would be their constant, God. And that you would work in all of our hearts to bring us the good progress that you're looking for. That you would, you would one degree at a time, change us and conform us into the image of your Son. We thank you. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.